Hello, welcome. We're so glad you could join us. If I haven't met you, my name is Gavin Hassel. I'm one of the ministers here at Bridge City Church. And it's my honor and pleasure to bring the Word of God to you today. Um, it's such an honor to share the Word of God. And uh, I just want to share with you this morning just a few things uh, that God showed me in His Scriptures. I wanted to talk specifically about expectations. Expectations are, and especially unmet expectations, are sometimes the point of big trouble in our lives. And we have expectations. Maybe we don't even realize we have them. We have expectations of our friends. If we're married, we have expectations of our spouse. Maybe if we have kids, we have expectations of our kids, of our employer, or maybe our employees. And we actually have expectations of God, too. I found that too many times that disappointments and even frustration and anger can rise up when our expectations aren't met by those around us. You know, the crazy thing is those expectations are like slippery little rascals. They just kind of slip in and we may not even know that we have them, but we do. And we don't even realize we have them until somebody doesn't meet them or somebody disappoints us. And that becomes a point of contention, a point of anger. And the crazy thing about expectations is most of them are unvoiced. We don't even talk about them. We just have them. And when people don't meet them, they might, even, they might not even know that they didn't meet our expectations. Now, I've heard it said that expectations are just predetermined disappointments or that we should have low expectations so we won't be disappointed. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think expectations can be good. They can be motivating if they're expressed and they're discussed and, and modified into something that we both can agree upon in a relationship. Problem is we don't often do that. We just set ourselves up for, for disappointment often. And yes, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we have expectations of God too. We may not know that we have expectations of God until something goes wrong or something goes bad then we expect God to, to do certain things or fix certain things. And when he doesn't do it in the way or in the timing that we anticipated, we can get down, we can get frustrated, we can get angry. We might even go to the point of questioning his love for us. This morning, I want to share with you a scripture uh, or some, a passage of scripture from Luke 24 that shows us how our expectations can sometimes cloud our understanding of the truth, even when that truth standing right in front of us. This is a, a section of scripture that we often call the road to Emmaus. Now to understand this, this passage of scripture, we have to do a little bit of background on it. So I want to I wanna just back up a little bit and just frame the story so when we get into it, we really understand it. Now this story is about two men who are leaving Jerusalem after the Passover and they're heading back to a town called Emmaus, which we can assume from the scripture, is their home. And they were returning on the day after the Sabbath. Now Emmaus was a, a small town about seven miles due west of Jerusalem. And it was, they had to cross over a couple of mountains and go through a couple of valleys to get there. It would often take them two to four hours, depending upon how fast they, they were walking. But it wasn't the easiest walk in the world. And it was kind of mountainous and it was kind of dirty. And this particular weekend wasn't just an ordinary weekend. See, this weekend was the end of the Passover. And not just any Passover, the Passover in which Jesus had been crucified. 
If you remember the account, Jesus had been crucified and placed in a tomb, and that was a miracle in and of itself, because those that were crucified were actually, their bodies were supposed to be thrown on the junk heap for the animals to devour. They didn't allow them the dignity of being buried. But Joseph of Arimathea had petitioned Pilate to allow them to bury Jesus. And they had been able to wrap his body and place it in the sepulcher, the, the, the grave, but they hadn't been able to properly prepare the body. And so after the Sabbath, now let's, let's talk about what the Sabbath is. Sabbath was really Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown. That was the Sabbath. So we're talking Sunday morning. <clears throat> the scriptures tell us in Luke 24, 1 through 12, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna synopsize that. We're not gonna go through each of those scriptures. On that Sabbath, we see that the women who were with Jesus went down to the sepulcher where Jesus was buried, and they started to, they, in order to prepare his body with the spices that were necessary. Except there was one problem. His body wasn't there, hallelujah. And there were two men at the gravesite that told him, he has risen. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? For he has risen. And they returned to the place where the disciples were hiding themselves. And, and I think they were hiding because of a couple different reasons. Number one, the Romans had taken Jesus. The leaders of Israel had taken Jesus. Who's to say they weren't going to come after them next? They had crucified Jesus. Who's to say their lives weren't in jeopardy next? And <clears throat> I think the other thing that we have to remember here is that it wasn't just the 11. Remember, Judas was... Uh, hung himself, but it wasn't just the 11 main disciples we think about that may have been holed up together. There were others there. How do we know? We're going to find out in just a second. Now in verse 12 of Luke 24, we see that Peter runs down to the gravesite to see for himself what the women had said. The women had said that they found these angels and they told them that Jesus wasn't there, the body wasn't there. They came back, Peter ran down. We know from John 20 that John also ran down and outran Peter to get to the, to the grave site. And so here they were, they're looking in and Peter was the first one to go into the grave and all he found was the folded up burial clothes, burial cloths that Jesus had been laid in. And so we're gonna pick up a little bit from there but let's talk about who these two men were. So I'm just gonna talk a little bit about it and then we're gonna read the verses themselves. And it tells us that later that day, later what day? The later the, in the day where John and Peter had run down. So that was the Sabbath, that was the Sunday. It says, later that day, these two men were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus walks up and he joins them. And they don't know who he is. And he began, they begin to talk to him about the weekend events. So who were these men? Well, I'm going to jump ahead to verse 22 so we can get a better idea of who these two men were. If we look at verse 22 through 24 of Luke 24, we see this. And this is, this is the men describing the events of the weekend to Jesus, who was walking with them. And he said, then some women from our group of his followers. Okay, so that kind of tells us that they were there. We're at his term tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report they said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive some of our men ran to see and sure enough his body was gone just as the women had said so here's what we know those men had probably been part of the the big group of disciples that had been holed up together wondering what the next thing was going to be, where the next shoe was going to drop, whether the Romans were going to show up for them. 
They were with the 11, but there was a bigger band of them. Um, maybe they were part of the fringe group or fringe followers, but I think they were a little bit more because he said, some of our men. Now, my question is, why didn't they run down? Why didn't they go and check it out? We don't know that they didn't, but the scriptures don't tell us that they did. But I believe these guys were true followers. They were, they were part of the disciples that were in general disciples, not of the 11, that had followed Jesus. And I wonder, if that had been you or me, wouldn't you have wanted to see for yourself? Maybe they did. I don't know. Or maybe they just weren't putting two and two together. See, I, I have to think, why didn't they remember what Jesus had told them? Or were they even with him back in Matthew 16, where, we were, where Jesus was talking to the disciples? And remember, he had asked Peter, who do they say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. He said, the the you know, flesh and blood didn't tell you that, but the Holy Spirit gave you that. And then he says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Were they there? Had they heard Jesus say that? I don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But I'm sure that there had been conversation among the disciples. I, I, I can't help but think that would have been like a topic of, of like controversy amongst them. Like, what does he mean by this? And I'm sure that they had heard this. But were they putting two and two together, the events of the Passover weekend and the things that Jesus had said beforehand? I don't know. But let's pick up in Luke 24, verse 13. And now let's read the scriptures that help us understand this process a little bit better. So in verse 13, it says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers, so they're identified as Jesus' followers, were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And they walked along, and they were talking about everything that had happened. Now, when we look at the translation of that word talking, it can mean discussing. It can also mean disputing. It can mean arguing about the event. But they were doing that about the events of the day. Were they just discussing or rehashing it? I think they were a little more intense about that because of what Jesus says later. But whether they were doing that or not, they were discussing what had happened when Jesus walked up and joined them. Verse 15 says, And they talked and discussed these things. And Jesus suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Now, we think to ourselves, we'd be walking along and somebody would walk up and join us and we kind of go like, what's the deal, dude? We kind of look sideways at them and we kind of say, you're interrupting our conversation. But culturally, that wasn't the issue <clears throat> in their day. See, the big thing was on these roads, the main mode of transportation was walking. That's what most people did. And some of these roads were pretty long and they could be pretty dangerous. A lot of robbers, thieves, wild animals. And so people tended to congregate together when they took these trips for protection. And so it wasn't unusual for, for people to come up and join a group and have that conversation as they walked along. And so as they started walking, um, Jesus said to them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? So there was some intensity to their conversations. Why it makes me think they may have just been really emotional about it. They may have been um, arguing about what they had seen and what they had heard. But he asked, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, 
you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. I find this ironic. Because Jesus could have said, yeah, I didn't hear about it. I lived it, man. But he didn't. He just listened to them. And it's, I, I, I go back to verse 17. It says where sadness was written across their face. But we look at this and we recap. And yes, there had been some events that had taken place that they hadn't anticipated. It didn't meet their expectations, did it? But when they heard that Jesus was not dead, that he has ridden, risen, why were they sad? Maybe they thought somebody had stolen his body, but there were guards at the tomb. That would have been difficult for any man to do, but not for God. Or, as we're going to find out, maybe it's because their expectation of what Jesus was going to do and how he was going to do it overshadowed the reality of what he actually did. Maybe they couldn't see it because their expectations blinded him. Have you ever had expectations of God which didn't turn out the way you expected them or or worked out in the timing that you expected them? I have over and over again. And I keep reminding myself that his ways are higher than my ways. See, these two men had placed their trust in Jesus and that he would redeem Israel, meaning that over that period of his ministry, I don't know how long these guys had been with him, but they had heard about all the great things. They had seen the miracles that he had done. He was a powerful man of God. Hopefully he was their Lord. And he was coming in their minds to free Israel from Rome. Whether it was political, whether it was militarily, this is the guy they expected to liberate Israel and make, it, make them free. And we have those kinds of expectations of God too. We may not know them, we may not actively think about them, but we have expectations of things that we think God should do instead of looking at what he is doing. Now back to our story. Whatever the reason is, these two men decided to head back. And from their sad face, they probably didn't believe the reports. They were walking back hopeless, faithless maybe, even doubting. Obviously didn't believe the reports of the women, Peter and John. Or they weren't putting two and two together. Or they just couldn't wrap their mind around it because the reality of what God had done What Jesus had done was clouded by their own expectations. But Jesus responded in a way that revealed their hearts. Isn't that interesting how God always asks us a question that will reveal our heart? What's really in us? He's so good at that. Don't ignore those times. Really look. When God pierces your heart and really looks for the honesty to why we're doing things or why we expect things. Really look at your own heart and see what it tells you. But Jesus said in verse 19, what things? Remember they said, are you the only one who hasn't heard about these things that happened in Jerusalem? He said, what things? You can just see him nonchalantly going, what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. Look at how they described him. They described him as a man, a prophet, and a teacher, but not as Lord. They hadn't gotten there yet. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Now, here's here's the real heart opener. We had hoped... He was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And then he throws this little little last tag on there. 
This all happened three days ago. So here Cleopas lays out the story, including his expectations, what he had expected Jesus to do. Yeah, to overthrow Rome, to start a, a free Israeli state, um, to, to, to do all of these types of things. And in a way, he was kind of right. Jesus did come to save all of Israel, but he came to save all of mankind also. He came to save our souls. He came to save us so that we would not have to live a life of sin but that we would be able to have fellowship with the Father because of the sacrifice he made for us. See, their own expectations had superseded his purpose, plan, and even his nature. And they missed what Jesus was doing because they had a preconceived idea. I think we do that sometimes too. We get weighed down by but what we think Jesus and God the Father should be doing, what we, and we lose sight of what they're really doing. These days, I'll be honest, we're fighting about masks, we're fighting about vaccines and restrictions and on and on and on. And what I see is God setting us up for a move of the Holy Spirit. See, I don't want to get so bogged down in the things that are going on around me, the political, the, the cultural, the, the international things that are happening, the fights that are taking place, and miss a move of God. See, I believe he's setting us up for revival. I hope and pray that we can usher it in when it happens, when God starts to move, that his people will move with him instead of missing it because we're so focused on these otherworldly things. Are we looking to him? Are we praying to him to move in a powerful way? Are we so preset in our expectations of what we think God is doing and could do and should do that we're missing the reality of what he is doing? I want to I just address that last little statement. And he said that it happened three days ago. Why is that important? Because in Jewish culture, it was believed that a person was truly dead after three days. See, I believe he said that last part in a real forlorn way. And he's been gone three days. And it's been three days. Meaning he truly is dead. He truly is gone, which tells us again that he could not even see the truth that was right in front of him, that Jesus had risen. Even though he had heard the reports, his expectations, because Jesus didn't do it the way he thought, the way they thought, they dashed his ability to believe what God really did do. And then we go on to the verse that we covered in the beginning, verses 23 to 24. And some of the women from our group of the followers are at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they've seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. See, here he's relating the very thing that should have brought great joy to him. And he's relating in a way that, that he's still sad. See, they had lost hope. They had lost their faith. And the crazy thing is, he's describing this very miraculous thing happening in a way without joy, without hope. And then I love the way Jesus takes over. He takes over the conversation. And uh, I believe he did it in a very loving way. And you can look at this as a, as a harsh response by Jesus. But I know that God corrects those who loves and he loved his followers. This was an amazing experience. Listen to what Jesus said. And Jesus said, you foolish people. And when I looked that word up and I really tried to understand the context of that, it really comes back to, oh, you have muddled minds. You've, you've misconstrued. You've discombobulated everything that I've told you. 
You're, you're not getting this. I want, you to, I want you to focus in. Don't let your vain imaginations, don't let your, don't let your imagination run away with you. This is what I want to tell you. You said, you find it hard to believe all the prophets, all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the scriptures all the things concerning him. This was an experience. He shows up and talks to these two men before he goes back and he talks to the original 11 closest disciples. He spent time with these two men to help them understand how the scriptures were pointing to him. See, I believe so many times we miss the purposes of God in our lives because we're not reading the Bible. See, Jesus' go-to wasn't, hey, look what I did. Hey, look what I said. Hey, look where I took you. No, his go-to was, look at what the scriptures say and I think that's for us too we have to realize that that we can try to understand our experiences with God but to really frame them out properly we have to go to the Bible and read it so many times we run into trouble in our lives because we make decisions based on man's wisdom not God's wisdom that which is found in the Bible see I think God was giving them a bigger picture I think he was giving them what was called an eternal perspective. He had raised the bar and given them a God-sized view of life. See, and I think that's something we need to do. We need to quit looking at the here and now and look at the bigger picture that God has laid out in his word. And the, the great thing is, we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of what God is doing. We get to be a part of that story if we want to. See, God has so much more for us. But we have to be careful that we don't draw him down into our situation. But we need to rise up into his purpose. I want to say that again. We can't draw him down into our situation. We need to rise up into his purpose. Too many times in our head, and our muddled thinking, we're generating false expectations and focusing on the, the here and now because we're listening to the wrong voices. Let me ask you a question. I have an iPhone here, and I know that every Sunday... It's always during church. Every Sunday, there's a, there's a notification that pops up, and it tells me how much time I spent on my phone this week. I'm sure if you have an iPhone, you're getting the same thing, a notification of how much time you spent on your phone. But if we were to compare how much time we spent on our phone with how much time we spent in the Scripture this week, which would be greater? I think that's an answer we all know the answer to. Because it tells us a lot of where we're putting our faith, our trust, and our focus. Are we listening to the world? Are we digging into what the Bible says? See, I believe that we're listening to a lot of voices of social media, Facebook and Twitter. We're listening to news broadcasts and people in our neighborhood and in our workplace, and they're shaping our perspective, and therefore they're shaping our expectations. And most of the time, let's be honest, that doesn't line up with what the Bible says. We should be looking at current events through the prism of the Bible. We should be looking at it. The Bible tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. This means that the stuff that we've been going through for the last 18 months or two years or even five years, it's not new. And there's wisdom that God has. And if we were to read the Bible and focus on what the Holy Spirit leading is, He would help us navigate through this in a way that would glorify God 
and build his kingdom. But it requires effort, and it requires often a new focus, an eternal perspective, a focus on God and him first. When I was in college, um, I went to Virginia Tech, and that was in southwestern Virginia. And in northern Virginia, there was on certain Saturday nights this group of college kids who got together in a, in a big setting called Saturday Night Alive. And one of the leaders was a guy by the name of Larry Tomzak. Larry Tomzak later, I heard, uh, at a small gathering. And he had said one of the things he does, now this is a while back, he would open the newspaper and open his Bible. And as he read the news, he would then read the biblical perspective on what was going on in the world. See, I think we need to have that same attitude. If we don't, we're going to get sucked into Satan's trap. What's Satan's trap? John 10.10. 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. See, if we get focused on too many of the wrong things, too many of the things the world is saying to us, he's going to steal our hope, kill our faith, and destroy our purpose. But God said, I have a better purpose. This is what Jesus said. He said, the, the thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. In other versions, it says, life and life more abundantly. abundantly. When you listen to social media and the news and other worldly talking heads, are you experiencing a rich and satisfying life? I'm not. I get frustrated. I get tight. I start getting, you know, this, uh, this tightness in me. I'm not saying that we should be oblivious to the things of the world. I'm not saying we should be oblivious to the, the activities and the, and the events that are going. I'm saying we should keep a perspective and let your hope and your faith be in Jesus and his word. Especially in a time like this, we need to focus on the scriptures and, re, and prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit and God's purpose and plan for his church. Now I want to pick back up in verse 28. And this time they were nearing Emmaus at the end of the journey. Acted, Jesus acted as if he was going to, going to go on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it, and then he broke it and he gave to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. At that moment they disappeared. Now the funny thing is, Jesus had done exactly the same thing just a few nights before at the Last Supper. Were they there for that? I don't know. Were there more than the, the original 12 disciples at that dinner? I don't know. But it was getting late in the day, and these events took place around mid-April, according to our calendar, and the sun was probably setting, and they had been walking that seven miles to Emmaus, and, uh, and those two disciples were probably ready to call it a day. They'd been through a lot over that last three or four days. And so they invited him in, and then there was an aha moment a revelation of that this was Jesus. What kind of aha moment, what kind of revelation of Jesus is it going to take us to bring us back to Jesus and focus on his purpose? You know, he has a purpose for us. As a, as a body of Christ, where his purposes are things like unity rather than division, compassion instead of condemnation, love instead of anger, passion for him instead of maybe pouting about our situations because we have a bigger perspective. See, we need a bigger revelation of Jesus and of what his plans and his purposes are. We can't limit God by our own expectations. We're just setting ourselves up for disappointment. And then we say, well, Jesus didn't come through. God didn't come through. What? What are you saying? 
God always comes through. He is always faithful. We just didn't get lined up with him because we weren't in his word and we weren't following the leading of the Holy Spirit and we missed him. That's more likely what happened. Verse 32, and these two disciples looked at each other and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as we talked, as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures. See, the scriptures being explained begins to burn within us. What a profound statement. Didn't our hearts burn within us when he explained the scriptures? Do our hearts burn within us? Are we caught up in the mess? Do our hearts burn with us within us when we're listening to the world? No. Our, bar, our hearts burn within us when we, we get clarity of the scriptures and we start to incorporate it into our lives as part of our, what's in our heart and in our mind. Right now, our, our emotions are being played on. But Jesus and his word stokes the fire of passion for him. See, we need a fresh infilling. We need a new revelation of Jesus. We need his word to fill our hearts and our minds. We need to throw off false expectations and get lined up with the word in our life. And we can't do that unless we start reading it and studying it. And you say, well, I don't understand it. Well, get with somebody who will help you. Jesus helped these two. And he explained it. And their hearts began to burn within them when it became alive. See, we're supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the word is the bread of life. Why are we settling for cheap substitutes that the world is offering? We shouldn't be because Jesus is offering the authentic. I want to finish with a couple of verses. And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. When? As soon as Jesus disappeared, their response was immediate. Within the hour, they're on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who also said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. What a response by these two guys. A response to the truth, the truth of God. What is our response when we hear the truth of God? These guys, they jumped up and hightailed it back to Jerusalem to tell the others in case they didn't know. Now, I bet it didn't take them near as long to get back as it took them to get to Emmaus. And this was a much more dangerous time. Remember, it was probably dusk or dark, but they were compelled to get back. And that's what the word does to us. That's what the truth does in us. It compels us. See, when we get a revelation of Jesus Christ in our lives, and the word becomes alive in us, and our hearts begin to burn with the truth of Jesus Christ, we're compelled to tell others. We're compelled to, to fellowship with others of like mind. We're, we're pulled together. There's an attraction because there's something that changes within us because the word of God changes us. Romans tells us, do not be conformed to the thinking of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to tell you right now, we need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. We need to throw off our expectations that maybe aren't even biblically based. We need to start listening to the right voices around us. Uh, this morning, I just want to finish with one simple question. Are you compelled by Jesus in your life and by his word? If you aren't, then I, I want to encourage you to, to revisit those expectations you have of God and focus on the truth. What is Jesus saying in his word 
What's he saying to you? What's he saying to his church? I want to encourage you to study the Bible or find somebody to help you study your Bible. Say, I want your heart to be enlarged by faith, hope, and love. I want you to have a bigger perspective. I don't want your mind muddled because of what the world's trying to convince you is truth. When we have real truth right in front of us, we all have that truth that's in the Bible. I want to encourage you to read it and implement it in your life. And we will see God move in a mighty way. I want to thank you this morning for spending your time with me. I hope that this has encouraged you.